Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Very happy to be with you today. Thank you for tuning in. We are uh, dealing with the covenants for uh, quite a few weeks. And uh, just last week, we looked at uh, the covenant sign. And we mentioned that we are going to look into the new covenant today. And I hope that this will uh, uh, open a lot of uh, perspectives to understand uh, what do we mean when we say the new covenant. I would like to just welcome the panel. And we have, uh, I will say, uh, quite a full panel today. Thank you for everyone uh, joining. And I will start with Will. Good to have you, Will, joining us. Consider it a privilege. Thank you, uh, Nick. And Brenton, it's good to have you with us also. Very good to be here, Nick, and we're looking forward to uh, discussing the new covenant together. Joe, thank you for joining us. Um, it's always good to be here, Nick, with the group. And Lija, also very happy to have you with us. I'm very happy to be part of God's Word study. Helen, thank you for joining us. Well, it's great to be here, and uh, I feel very inspired by this uh, study that we're doing. In fact, it's inspiring every week, and enthusiastic to be with the group. Thank you, Helen. Len, thank you for uh, being with us. Uh, I would um, like to welcome you also from a different perspective, not just that you've been away last week, but that you filled in uh, very nicely and... Um, but it's good to have you with us, Len, as uh, our facilitator today also. Well, thank you for your welcome and hello, listeners. I personally find it a privilege to share the Word of God uh, with you, listeners, and with the rest of the panel. And I trust that this study today will be something which will bring you closer to the Lord and a better understanding of His Word. In fact, if you've been following this series of Bible studies, you'd be aware of the fact that God has always wanted a close relationship with mankind. The covenants made with human beings were always based on a motivation of love. And God wants you to accept his great love for you, and he wants the very best for you. As our creator, he knows what is best for us, and that is to live according to his will. The whole of humanity has, at one point or another, gone contrary to God's will and suffers the consequences of their mistakes. But God has been proactive, endeavouring to draw wayward people back to himself. Some covenants made in the past have failed, not because God changed his mind or failed, but because of the failure of the people to live according to the terms of the covenants. And this week, we're studying the much misunderstood new covenant. So stay tuned. But before we uh, get into the depth of this study, I'd like you to join us in prayer. And Helen's going to lead us in prayer this morning. Thank you. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, what a delight to open your word, your love letter to us. We thank you, Father, for the relationship that you want with us. You want to dwell with us and in our hearts. I pray that each one of us will be ready right now to give our lives completely to you. And may this 
study that we're going through be a means of drawing us closer to you and that we may glorify you in all that we say and do. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Now, I would like to ask a bit of a strange sort of question, and I'm going to address this question to you, Lydia. Have you used a particular type of toothpaste for a long time? And secondly, has it undergone any changes? For example, is the packaging any different? If so, does it work any better than previously? So what's your experience with toothpaste, Ledger? Mm-hmm. Yes, I changed my toothpaste quite a few times in my life, and I'm still doing that because it says that it's very good for in order to kill all the germs better. But I found out that probably they changed some ingredients in the toothpaste, but it's still just a toothpaste and it works pretty much the same. There's not any other difference. So that's really the point that I wanted to uh, emphasize here, that toothpaste, regardless of the fact that it's undergone changes, is still toothpaste. And this same thing applies to God's covenant and to the new covenant. And Joe, would you like to read from Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 35, where the new covenant is outlined to the prophet Jeremiah? Yes, certainly. Um, From Jeremiah 31, 31 to 35, it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. Very moving words, aren't they? It says there, I will make a new covenant. It's very hard I guess, to compare it with toothpaste, but I guess it is the covenant. And the, co- the terms of the covenant have always remained the same. I guess God has always desired to write his laws in their hearts and in their minds, but they resisted him, didn't they? And so I guess during our discussion today, we're going to learn a lot more about the differences between the old and the new covenant and what are they, if any. So I'm looking forward to our discussion. Okay. Now, if you remember... A couple of weeks ago, we discussed the covenant that God made with the Israelite nation at Mount Sinai, where he gave his Ten Commandments. Unfortunately, of course, the people did not do very well in keeping those commandments. They rebelled against God. But God reached a point where he said, I will make a new covenant, but the terms would be slightly different. It was still God's covenant made with the people, but there is a difference, and we're going to look into this. Now, the old covenant was the law, the Ten Commandments, the moral law, or the Decalogue. 
And in the new covenant that Joe just read about, it also mentions God will do something with the law. So what's, what law is he talking about there, Brenton? He's talking again about the Ten Commandment law. Len, I'm going to refer to this a little bit later in our study, but in Galatians 3.19, we find a statement that says that the law was added because of sin. Now, the law points out the fact that we are sinners, but it can't do anything to save us. Isn't it interesting what Joe has just read in um, Jeremiah 31? Again, God starts his preamble to Jeremiah by talking historically. When you go back to the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, he's talking historically. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, etc., etc. Here he talks about how they were unfaithful to him, even though he led them by the hand out of the land of Egypt. I think God's trying to get them to recognize that um, what they had at Sinai was lesson one in his um, aim for them to be his people. The problem is, Len, they never progressed beyond lesson one. Now, you used to be a teacher. If you taught students and they never got past the first grade, I think you would be probably a little bit um, frustrated. I believe what was given at Sinai was the Ten Commandment Law. What is restated here is the Ten Commandment Law, but it's actually applied in our hearts. Now, the heart in Bible thinking is the heart refers to the thinking processes of a person. So rather than just making a, a comment that all the Lord said we will do, God wants us to understand intelligently what he's proposing here. He says, I want to write my law on your hearts. Now, in order for him to do that, we have to give him our hearts for him to be able to work on. Thank you, Brenton. Joe, you would like to comment? Yes, it's interesting that um, instead of doing away with the law, if you like, God actually brings it even closer. It's not an mm. external part of our conformity to good living. He's actually writing it on the hearts and the minds. So rather than having done away with it, he's actually even bringing it closer to home. He's making it a part of who we are. And um, so, so people who say, oh, look, you know, the commandments were done away with, you know, God has always desired, always desired that it would be a part of our thinking, a part of our breathing, our, a, a living example of, of his will. And so I, I don't think that the God's law has been done away with. It's been internalized and it's become a living, breathing code of ethics, a code of living, a code, a code of conduct, if you like. Thank you, Joe. I think what you've said there is very important. There are so many people who think the new covenant means that the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, the moral law has been tossed out with the rubbish, but that's not the case. However, there are people who think of the law as being uh, repressive. That as soon as the word law is mentioned, all they think, no, no, this is somebody's trying to rule over me. But God explains how he led the people in the past uh, following the first covenant. And how was that, Will? It, it was uh, that he led them by the hand, he says in this text. Uh, I was a husband to them. Uh, you know, the heathen nations of the day, worshipping idols, perceived of their gods as being distant and impersonal. For them to hear that the Israelite God was being intimate and avidly inviting them to an intimate relationship 
like a loving earthly family was, well, inexplicable. Uh, the imagery I get out of these texts is that uh, it is a warm and inviting relationship. He leads them by the hand. That's wonderful. Yes. In order to understand the new covenant, we have to compare it with the old. So, Helen, would you explain briefly what was the purpose of the old covenant? Well, from where I'm sitting, there was a lot of um, similarities between the old and the new. But the old one, some people believe that it was more built on works, but it was more conditional. You know, there was if and if and if. But I believe it was the same spiritual relationship at its centre when God said, I will take my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who's brought you out, which was mentioned a moment ago. God wanted that close relationship with the people. But there was the if there, if you will obey, the purpose was that it was to spell out God's law, his character, his character of love, so that they in turn would feel so impressed to come before the Lord to dwell with him and asking and being forgiven of sin. And it spells out how the people could actually be saved. However, we must remember we're not saved by the law. It shows us something different. And we um, we actually went through a couple of weeks ago about the old covenant. And when I was studying into that, to me, it brought out that God wanted uh, his people, he wanted to make Israel a treasured possession, his own possession. He wanted to have uh, to make Israel a kingdom of priests. He wanted them to be a holy nation. And all of those things were, were to bring them into a state where they would be separated from the world but not separated from God, and it would bring them closer to them. You know, he was explaining to them how, he brought them out of Egypt, but how he was going to save them. Just going to add here that uh, what we read in Jeremiah, I think has a very prophetic connotation there because uh, we could see Jesus referring back to the principle of reading the law into your hearts. And even if we look at the aspect when uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, he declared that uh, I, I came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill. And if you look in uh, verse 28, when he gave the example that, you know, it was said to you not to commit adultery, but I'll tell you that if you look at a woman lustfully, you committed adultery in your heart. What that means, God's people look at the covenant very scriptically. You know, and they were trying to uh, just keep uh, those uh, commandments. But in their heart, they were far away from God. And this is probably the conflict today in the Christendom, when many Christians will say that we are keeping the new covenant, which Jesus referred to. But Jesus actually reinforced, if you like, the first covenant and he went even a step further and say even more than what the first covenant referred to. What I believe is that we need to acknowledge in our own heart about the relationship we have with God, not just to be formalistic, not just to have a, a kind of a relationship that people can see it out there formally, but inside we don't have that relationship which God referred to. 
I, I have the rights of a husband to you. I think it's very complex, this, and we may talk a little bit more during this time together about uh, these differences in between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. I think the point you've made is a very good point, Nick. I think probably where people went wrong with the Old Covenant was they treated it as a list of rules, where Jesus, in talking about the, or at least some of them he referred to in Matthew chapter 5, was talking about the principle. In other words, it's not just what we are seen to do, what goes on in our minds that makes all the difference. So we know the Old Covenant laid out a set of rules whereby if people kept those rules, they would be doing the will of God. So the, that was the purpose of the Old Covenant. But so what was the purpose of the New Covenant, Brenton? Well, the purpose of the New Covenant, Len, was uh, how to be saved, basically. And um, <clears throat> there are several components to it that are fairly important. Jesus, I think, outlined the basis of the New Covenant actually when he spoke to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 where he said, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What's different about the new covenant is the new covenant is based upon Christ's death on the cross. And I've got a text here for you from Matthew twenty six twenty eight, which says when Christ was in the upper room with his disciples, he made this comment, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now, what's interesting is if you go back to Exodus 25, verse 8, you'll find that at the end of the reading of the Old Covenant, Moses sprinkled the children of Israel with blood and said, this is the blood of the covenant. The difference between the two is that the children of Israel were looking forward to an event that um, hadn't happened when Christ inaugurated what we call the Passover or the um, communion service, he was about to give his life as a ransom for people. And the purpose of the new covenant, the same, believe it or not, as the old one, is to bring people back into a right relationship with God. Yes. Um, what's been touched on so far is exactly right. Mechanically, they thought they could do it, but you've got to look at it from their perspective. They've just come out of the land of Egypt. They've had 400 years of slavery. When they're told to do something, the automatic response is to do it. I believe that God is wanting to take them well beyond that stepwise so that they intelligently understand what he requires of them and is able to do it. Jesus is about to give his life in the new covenant here and he's about to show his love for his disciples when he made a comment, greater love has no man, that, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. Christ laid down his life for us. So the whole basis of the new covenant, the purpose of the new covenant, is to bring us back into relationship with Jesus, and we can only do that by accepting his sacrifice that he gave on Calvary for us. There's nothing that you can add to it, and there's nothing that you can take from it. The old covenant wasn't a bad covenant. No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> we have the expression, I think it's in the Hebrews, where it talks about the new covenant as being a better covenant. And when you think about how sin was dealt with under the old covenant through the sacrifice of animals, really there was something lacking there. 
whereas the new covenant depends on the blood of Christ, which was given. So was there anything wrong with the old covenant, Lydia? No, actually, was nothing wrong with the old covenant. The fact that uh, the ancient Israel had failed repeatedly to abide and to follow by its conditions, it was because of a callous form of worship called ritualism that barricaded Israel's heart. So the new covenant is a completion or the fulfillment uh, of the first one. We remember that when God wrote the Ten Commandments on two tablets of stones, he engraved it with with his own finger and gave it to Moses to bring down to the Israelites. But they failed because they've been stubborn. They, their hearts hasn't been touched by, by God's power. But now in the, the new law, it says that uh, it will be written in people's hearts. It means the Holy Spirit's work is going to be done in people's hearts to engrave God's law again in people's hearts, in, in all those who are accepting Jesus and God. Yes, and this leads us into a most important aspect of the new covenant. Brenton? Just a quick comment, Len, on that and what Lydia's said and what we've said so far. The new covenant differs from the old one. The old one was made specifically to a group of people known as the Israelites. However, if you dig deeper into the Old Covenant, you realise that God's original intention was that had Israel followed his covenant, they would have been a light to those around about them. In the New Covenant, uh, as a result of Christ's death on Calvary, salvation and a, a relationship with Jesus has now become individual. In other words, it's much more intimate than what appears to have been the case in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, um, although God does say I was a husband to them and they were unfaithful to me, in the New Testament, salvation is an individual matter because Jesus said, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I I guess the blessing of the New Covenant is that anybody, ourselves as panel or anybody listening to us today, can accept this gift of salvation. They can accept the New Covenant relationship with Jesus because it is offered on an individual basis. And yeah. we have to mention also that it covers all humanity. doesn't matter about the race, the social, you know, it covers all humanity in the entire world. It's not uh, reduced to uh, just a small amount of a uh, group of people. Yes, right. Joe? Uh, Brenton, I'm not sure what you meant, but I, I believe that we've always been saved individually. God may have had his people, the Israelites, and they were to be, if you like, ambassadors for him for to the other nations. But even back then, throughout all time, we have always been saved individually okay. rather than collectively. And I'm sure that's not what you were implying, but I just thought I'd clarify that. Mm. No, that's a good thought, Joe. It always has been the case. So often people think that things have changed between that, you know, old and new. Perhaps it's just a renewed covenant. Um, the goalposts haven't changed. It's no easier or harder to be saved under either time because God has always 
wanted the same thing as that 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 is a changed heart to be born again yeah. has always yeah. been what god desired most yeah i would agree with you joe i think though that the new covenant is superior in the sense and we'll get to this further in our study the new covenant is based on christ's shed blood and the old covenant yes. was based on uh, the sacrificial services and all the things that were pointing forward to what was going to happen we, we have the benefit of 2,000 years of looking back on Christ's death on Calvary for our sins. I think the foundation, even though the foundation has not changed, to me the foundation seems to be totally secure now in the fact that Christ has already shed his blood. He only had to do it once, and um, this is the good thing about the new covenant is that it doesn't have to be renewed. You don't have to have a yearly service. You don't have to go through all these things. Christ did it once for all, as Hebrews says. And I reckon that's really, really good news. Yes, Nick. I can see, you know, we can look uh, from um, uh, two different uh, point of views in regard to the better covenant, you know, the new covenant, the old covenant. But what I would like to still refer back to Jeremiah, where um, we looked into this uh, passage in in, uh, Jeremiah chapter 31. And particularly in verse 34, where it talks, uh, God says that I will uh, write it on your heart. Now, covenant referred to God's law. Mm-hmm. And sin was the transgression of God's law. In verse 34, God still re- refers to that, that God will forgive our sins. And he refers in the new covenant, which we, we just... Uh, uh, address that, that the new covenant was that God will be more, even more specific, more intentional, making us realize in our heart, our condition, that we need the Savior. It was through the blood of the animals before Jesus Christ, is that's how God prepared his people to understand that. But all that, all that referred to Jesus. And when Jesus came, he fulfilled that. And through his blood, it was always, unfortunately, the people of Israel, maybe they simplified a little bit thinking, okay, it's just a lamb. You know, I'll just take a lamb, sacrifice a lamb, and my sins will be washed away. But that that blood of that lamb was the blood of Jesus, actually, representing Jesus. When we saw the sacrifice of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Hopefully we wake up and we understood what sin is and what's the effect of sin. Jesus to be, to come and, and die for us and share his blood for us. I think that's the difference to realize in our heart. That's why God said, I will put this law in your hearts. Not on the, only on tablets of stone. Look at that and say, okay, I will bring my lamb. I will bring my sacrifice and I will be okay. No, not at all. All right, Helen? There's one thing that I I think that both the old and the new covenant people tended to do, and that was, uh, as Nick said, they had the example of the lamb and the sanctuary service. They had seen how God had brought them out of of, uh, Egypt. We look back and we see the lamb on the cross and how he brings us out from the slavery of sin. I think the key thing here that we're, that they've got and often people today forget is how God did all that and his reasons for doing it. You know, as Nick said, 
could have become just a tradition with them. They had forgotten who was behind it. And and even today, um, Len, when people, you know, you mentioned to them how Christ died on the cross for them, it's they say yes, yes, and they might give their heart to them right to God right then, but it's the remembering of it all as they go on their daily walk. And the Israelites and us, we were no different. We are no different unless we have that relationship that God wants with us to dwell with us and in us and through us. Um, it, that's the same as the Israelites. That's the same as the spiritual Israel today. Us, we need to remember what He's done. I'd like to suggest that the old covenant. Uh, depended on the condition of Jesus sacrificing his life for the sins of the people. If Jesus had never done that, I, I don't really know the answer to this question, but I would like to suggest that nobody would have been forgiven at all. And this is why the new covenant has more power, because it is something that's actually been accomplished. Now, we come back to the covenant as stated in Jeremiah 31 where God says he will put his law in their minds and write it on their hearts so what does this mean Joe? I guess we've been discussing it to some degree um, so far however I'd like to draw our attention to the fact that uh, you know writing you know putting his law in our minds and writing it on our hearts is not a new concept not a new concept we know that in Psalms it says the law of his God is in his heart and his feet do not slip. You know, there's the one in Psalm 40, I delight to do your will. Your law is within my heart. And then, of course, there's good King Josiah of whom it was said before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might. You know, we have examples of genuine um, worship of God. Now, God himself has said to the Israelites as a people, when, when will you, you know, return to me? You know, when are you going to stop feigning repentance and, and pretending that, you know, these pretend revivals? I want you to, you know, to come to me with your whole heart. And so they struggled. They, the problem was the people were rejecting God's messages from his uh, prophets. They were rejecting God himself. They wanted the good things that God could give them, and they were more interested in the gifts and not the giver. And so God is saying, you know, that this, this needs to change. You know, Lynn, we could be living under the old covenant today if we think that our good work, so to speak, if we live an external religion that hasn't really changed our heart, hasn't softened our attitude, and we could still be living like the Israelites because their hearts were hardened. And while they conformed to an outward image uh, of being like good people, God's people, inside they were rotten. They were like white sepulchres. And so it is possible for us to even today live under the old covenant um, if we think our works can save us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's important to remember that nothing that we can do can save us. Only God, and I think you've just mentioned that with Christ. Christ came and he revealed the love of God. So I think um, that the desire to write, I'd like to just read a little comment from Barnes, which I think is beautiful. The old law could be broken. Yes, a law can be broken at any time. To remedy this, God gives not a new law, but a new power to the old law. It used to be a mere code of morals external to man and obeyed as a duty. 
And that's the old covenant, isn't it? And we could do that today. It used to be a mere code of morals and external to man obeyed as a duty. In Christianity, it becomes an inner force shaping man's character from within. And you know what? When that happens, we cannot hold it in. It will be evident, won't it? Yes. There's a new aspect, as I see it. We've got the love thing. We do what God wants us to do because we love him, not just because this is a list of do's and don'ts. Helen, how does God write or put the law in people's minds and hearts? This is a beautiful promise that Jesus gave. He gave to the disciples, but he also gave it to us. And I'd, I'd want to talk after I read a couple of texts, if I may. John fourteen fifteen to 17, he says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. And in John sixteen seven, it actually says, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. This advocate, we believe, is counsellor, is the Holy Spirit. And the reason Jesus had to go away, because he came in human form. He became a human being, and humans can only be in one place at a time, normally. (laughs) And um, therefore, he needed to go away. He said, it is better that I go away, because the advocate was the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is a being who can be anywhere. I know a lot of people dispute today even the existence of the Holy Spirit as a being, but it is the Holy Spirit that writes these laws into our heart. The Holy Spirit is present in the Godhead. This is a controversial issue, Len, but the Bible is very clear that God, that Jesus would ask for the Holy Spirit to come. And I think if we were to even go further in, which we're not, but if we were to go further in this chapter, we would see what um, the Holy Spirit He actually says he will never leave us. He will live with us and in us. He will teach us. He reminds us of Jesus' words. He convicts us of sin. He shows us God's righteousness, announces God's judgment on evil. He guides us into all truth, gives insight into future events. He brings glory to Christ. The Holy Spirit has been active among people from the beginning of time but came more fully at Pentecost. And praise the Lord, the Holy Spirit is with us today. As Jesus promised, that he will never leave us and he will lead us into truth. So it is the Holy Spirit, I believe, Len, that through the Holy Spirit, the law is on our minds and our hearts. And we will want to do it. You know, I, while preparing this particular study, I was thinking of an analogy to help us understand the difference between the old and the new covenants. And I was thinking about children. Now, when a child is young and its parents or parent says to do something or other, they do it because they're told to. But when that child gets older and is able to think and reason for itself and can see that there are good reasons to do this course of action or that course of action, and they also understand that the command or whatever it is given to them is given for their own good, 
then they will want to do it, not just because they're told to, but because they understand it comes from a motive of love. Now, Brendan, I've got a doozy of a question for you. Is there any relationship between the New Covenant and the Gospel? Glenn, I believe there is. The Gospel, as we all know, is about God's grace, and grace can only be effective if there is sin present. I'm going to read Galatians 3 for you. Just briefly, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of the mediator. This is where it becomes, you use the term a doozy of a question. Some people interpret this to mean that when Christ came and died on Calvary, the law was annulled or somehow done away with. But Christ disproved that himself by saying in Matthew five seventeen and 18, Think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Fulfill in no way means doing away with annulling or deleting. It simply means showing it to its fullest possible potential. Is obedience still essential? Yes, it is. But the difference now, I believe, is rather than we've all talked about how the Israelites' response was largely a mechanical one. Jesus is basically saying here, you can't do anything without me. And you'll remember in John 15, verse 5, he says, without me, you can do nothing. So um, I'm mindful of the fact that there is a relationship between the new covenant and the gospel. There was a text I was looking for. I can quote it, but I can't find the reference. Uh, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The difference between the Old Testament covenant and the new covenant is this. In the Old Covenant, I believe they did not fully understand what God intended, even though I believe his intention was the same. In the New Covenant, we look back on a completed sacrifice on Calvary that was made for us, and we recognize that we are totally incapable of keeping God's law. But what we can do is we can surrender our heart and our lives. We can be transformed as Paul says, by the renewing of our mind in Romans 12, verse 2. Transformation means my life, my heart, my character, my thinking processes are handed over to God so that he can fulfill his new covenant in my life. That is what the gospel good news is all about. It's accepting the grace of God and allowing him to work that grace out in our lives, not only on a knowledge level, but also experientially so that we will end up like the disciples that were mentioned in Acts 4, verse 12. They took note of them that they had been with Jesus. So I think that's where the relationship between the new covenant and the gospel comes, Len. Uh, The law is still there. Obedience is still necessary. But what is required is a recognition that we can't do it, a recognition that Christ kept the law perfectly. He says, give me your heart and I will fulfill what I carried out on Calvary in your life with your cooperation. Well, that was um, a very erudite explanation. Thank you, Brenton. Uh, Nick? I was was just going to say here that I feel like that we're comparing the new covenant with the old covenant with the one on the Mount Sinai. Uh, But I would like to say that that covenant on the Mount Sinai, it was a new covenant, 
if you look back for uh, for the covenant which God had with his people from the beginning. Is that not right? I mean, when he wrote on the table, it was like it was a new covenant. Why? Because everything what was in that covenant was still valid before Mount Sinai. And everything else, mm-hmm. you know, is still valid valid now after Christ in the same way. Okay. You know, the Ten Commandments, the moral law, uh, can we done away with any of them? Can we go now and kill somebody? Can we go now and worship other gods? Can we go now and uh, keep a, a different day as a Sabbath day? Of course not. And God expected his people, the Israelites, to do what he already had covenants with the people before them. And God was just reminding them. And now he's stepping up even further and say, hey, I'll come closer to you. I'll, this covenant will be on a different level, you know. And it's interesting, I'll just mention this, uh, probably we didn't have time to look in, uh, in Romans chapter 2, verse 15. But even before verse 15, it's interesting in verse, um, from verse 14 says here, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law. This, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. Because that's what God wants us to realize. And in verse 15, it says, he actually, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witnesses and between themselves, their thoughts, accusing or else excusing them. You see, God is even referring that those people who not necessarily came into a covenant with him, they knew or they know about the nature of good and evil. And they do that thing without the law. How much more when God wants us to realize that down deep in our hearts? Uh, What you first started to say, Nick, reminded me of where we began today, that toothpaste is still toothpaste. Yes. It's still old or new, it's still his covenant. But what we are seeing here is a new expression of that covenant and how it works out in man. So, Helen, Prophet Hosea was also given insight to the new covenant. What expression of God's love do we hear? Okay, in Hosea, um, he talks about the new covenant. Um, Well, he was given insight into the new covenant, let me say that. And the first part of Hosea chapter 2, verse 18 to 20, tells us about about animals and birds and that they will not harm you. This is a future prediction he was talking about. But the part where he talks about the love of God, I think is absolutely beautiful, where he says, I will make you, well, he says in the King James betrothed, but in the New Living Translation, it says, verse 19, I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine, and you will finally know me as the Lord. You know, I couldn't help thinking of marriage vows. Um, wouldn't it be wonderful to to have <laughs> have that? That was virtually a marriage vow that God was giving to us. And, man, I wouldn't mind that at all. 
You know, I thought that was just great. But, you know, I thought about it too and I thought God's wedding gift to us, to his people, both in Hosea's day and in our own day, is his compassion. You know, he brings that out in this verse. And it's through no merit of our own that God forgives us and makes us right with him. There is no way for us to, by our own efforts, to reach God's high standards. But he graciously accepts us. He forgives us. He draws us into a relationship with himself. And in that relationship, we had personal and intimate communion with him. I am so glad that um, I am betrothed to God. We need to understand that what God does is always out of a motive of love. We must understand that God hates sin, but he loves sinners. And there are other expressions in the Bible. Will, would you like to open this up to us a little? God wills that uh, to change. Part of the new covenant is to uh, change our hearts, give us a new new heart. Um, I know of three texts, Ezekiel 18.31, Ezekiel 11.19, and Ezekiel 36.26, in which the promise of a new heart and a new spirit is placed in man in the new covenant so that he can warmly serve his God. Um, Just a quick comment on that. You know, uh, uh, Nick from Mark, a friend of mine, was part of the team who worked out with Professor Chris Barnard in planting a new heart in uh, Louis Wyshkansky, the first human transplant, and visiting him in the Grotesky Hospital, Nick uh, said, I could see the gratitude and the relief of the promise of life where he had been on death's countdown before. And so this new heart that the Lord offers us as part of the new covenant is uh, something that is warm and inviting and, and draws our whole being toward him. Thank you, Will. In God's statement about the new covenant in Jeremiah 31.31, he mentions making the new covenant with the house of Israel. So although we've partly covered this before, does this exclude any non-Jews? Lynn, it never excluded anybody. It didn't exclude them in the Old Testament and it didn't it definitely didn't exclude them in the New Testament. I just refer to Isaiah 56, verse 6, where it says, also the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord. And it goes forth. It's well worth reading, um, and people could do that at home. But it says that, you know, God desires to bring them into his holy mountain and make them joyful in his house of prayer because his house is going to be called a house of prayer for all people. Um, and then, of course, into the New New Testament, we have the familiar one with in Galatians where it says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. God has always been inclusive. Israelites became exclusive. They thought they were special and privileged, and I guess they were special and privileged, but they used it to exclude rather than invite others in, to join them. You know, it doesn't just include the house of Israel. Yes, it's always been open to anyone who would join themselves to God. All right. Richard, what did you want to say here? Also, Prophet uh, Jeremiah states that 
the new covenant is to be made with the house of Israel. Does this mean that the only, uh, the literal seed of Abraham Jews by blood and birth are to receive the covenant promises? No. In fact, that was not even true in Old Testament times that the Hebrew nation as a whole has been given the covenant promises. And of course, it's correct. Yet, it was not done to the exclusion of anyone else, as Joe mentioned. On the contrary, all Jews or Gentiles were invited to partake of the promises, but they had to agree to enter into the covenant. It is certainly no different today. So we as individually, we have to exercise our own free choice and to accept and to abide into it. All right. Nobody need worry that the new covenant was only made with the Israelite nation. The address was to them, but the new covenant is for everybody. Now, in Hebrews 8, 6, Brenton, the new covenant is described as being better or superior to the old one. Would you like to share a little further on that? Sure. Let me read it first of all. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. The word better seems to occur here regularly, and it's based on this concept. In the Old Testament, a high priest or the priests ministering the blood of animals did so looking forward to a time when all of this would be inaugurated in the one great sacrifice. What Hebrews 8, 6 is telling us is this. And this is where we have to understand that the old had passed away. Christ was not only the sacrifice, but subsequently he became the high priest who ministered the blood of his sacrifice. This is why he said, according to the text that I read earlier in Matthew 26, verse 28, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the remission of sins. I believe Christ is saying two things here that the disciples are unaware of. I'm about to give my life for the world, but remission of sins also indicates a work that needs to be done, which is prefigured in the work that was done by the priests in the Old Testament. What Christ has done, he has offered himself as a sacrifice. His blood, which is perfect, covers each and every person who chooses to accept him, but now he is in the heavenly sanctuary ministering the benefits, if you will, of that sacrifice. That is what makes it so superior to the Old Testament um, sacrifices and the Old Testament covenant. Thank you, Brenton. And, and Len, if I could just quickly add on, on what Brenton said, that because that better, that better can raise all sorts of questions. In my opinion is that what's better when you travel towards a destination or, or when you arrive to a destination. You know, everything what was before Jesus, it was pointing to Jesus, as I mentioned earlier. But now we understand, you know, that we can go now directly to Jesus. Before people had to go to the priests, you know, to even confess their sins and so on and so forth. Now directly we go to Jesus. Better doesn't mean that's changed. Better means that you access now the right means. Okay, good. Toothpaste is still toothpaste. It still is. <laughs> uh, that the law, the moral law, 
was never done away with with the new covenant. In case somebody would like to dispute this on the basis of Hebrews 10 verse 1, what law was actually removed uh, according to Colossians 2.14? Will? Perhaps I can best answer it with one of the modern translations, the New Living Translation. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who come to worship. Clearly, it's talking about the Old Testament sacrificial system and the laws, as it were, of Moses, written in handwriting, not talking about God's law. Okay. In other words, it's the ceremonial law, not the moral law. Yes, Brendan? Can I suggest just um, in uh, regard to what Will has said, there's an important point here. Colossians 2.14 must refer to the ceremonial law and not the moral law in one sense. Why would God have said through Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, if you keep my law, you will live? Remember what this says to you in Colossians 2.14 is that this was against us and was taken away by the death of Christ on Calvary. The moral law has never been against people. Otherwise, God is contradicting himself. Uh, That's why he told Moses, if you keep my laws, you'll be a happy, holy and prosperous people. So it can't possibly be referring to the moral law when it talks about Colossians 2.14. It must be referring to the ceremonial law because the ceremonial law was against them. It was something that was foreign to what they were going to do. Can you just imagine today if all those people who lived in the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, can you imagine how they would think if they were living in 2021 and they looked back on um, the sacrifice of Christ on Calvary? Can you just imagine how they would feel? Yes, Helen's going to explain how they would feel. Well, no, what I'd like to say is we're saying which law was nailed to the cross. According to Colossians 2.14, Colossians 2.14 comes after verse 13, and it's talking about being dead in our sins. 14, he said he cancelled the record of charges against us, took it away by nailing it to the cross. What was nailed to the cross was our sins. Mm. That was what was nailed to the cross. With Christ, he was also the fulfillment or the shadow, as you've said, of the ceremonial laws. You know, they were then done away with at the cross. But what was nailed to the cross, my friends, was our sins. And I think we need to remember that. Good point. Also, just quickly, I want to add here that in Deuteronomy, you mentioned that, uh, Brenton. And if you look a little bit more in detail there, it says that that law, the ordinance, was going to be placed next to the uh, Ark of Covenant, and the Ten Commandments were placed inside. Now, that one which was beside the Ark, that was the ordinances and the law which stood against us, you know, um, and if it, it was to remind us, and Jesus took that away which was against us at the cross. That's what he says, that it was wiped away the cross. Uh, it's very interesting to look, uh, we haven't got time now to go back in Deuteronomy and look into that a little bit more in detail, but uh, I think that makes a very valid point. So Joe, how often did Jesus need to die for the sins of people? I guess when Jesus died, 
type met anti-type. Okay, the slain lamb took the form of God himself, Lynn. Um, Jesus laid down his life as a ransom for mankind. The gospel rocked the then-known world. The born-again Christians, be they Jewish or Gentile extraction, took the good news to the world, something that Israel had not managed to do. And we know that they received power, which turned the world upside down, as we know from Acts. Now, you know, uh, if we look at um, Hebrews 7, um, that gives us an idea, and it says, and I think we've alluded to this, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. And it was God's will that Jesus, Jesus gave himself, and he says, Lo, I come, and in Psalms we know that this was um, written about him, to do thy will. And so we know that Jesus does not die time and time again. There may be institutions that actually believe that, um, every time we sin, we re-crucify Christ or that the mass might be something. But we know that Jesus just died once, um, and he died once and once for all time. Yes. Will, where is Jesus now and what's he doing? And then, panel, this is the good news. Jesus is now serving uh, on our behalf as, the, as an in, in, intercessor. Uh, I'd like to read uh, Hebrews 8, verses 1 and 2. This is the main point of the things that we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle in which the Lord erected in one man. Jesus is now interceding as our high priest and advocate in the sanctuary in heaven. Good news. Good news indeed. Amen. Amen. Very short answers. Panel, which covenant do you prefer to live under, the old or the new? Helen? Definitely the new, but it incorporates the old as well. So it's really living under the one, but the new because we have the Holy Spirit living in our heart and instead of tables of stone, he gives us hearts of flesh where he's written his law upon our heart. Anybody else? The new because it's changing my heart through the Holy Spirit and this is what I need. A whole new heart. Yes. All right. We have to stop here, listeners. We'd love to go on. We've got heaps more to share with you. But um, the new covenant does not do away with the law. The new covenant explains how sin is dealt with through Jesus. And personally, I'm very glad to be living in a day and age where I can understand what the love of God means to me so let's close with prayer and i'm inviting you will to pray for us and our listeners our heavenly father we seek a greater knowledge of the great covenant that personal covenant that god wants to make with his people thank you lord for the promise of a new heart thank you lord for jesus who not only died for our sins but intercedes for us in the heavenly sanctuary Lord, we uh, purpose to give those hearts to you now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much, everyone, for participating today. I think uh, this was uh, quite a very interesting one. But uh, uh, keep in mind uh, that next week will be even better because we are still going to look into a new covenant, this time sanctuary. It was referred to today, but uh, don't miss that. 
uh, next one when we are going to talk a little bit more about New Covenant Sanctuary. Until then, may God richly bless you and keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.